I invite you to find your seats. Is somebody uh, invite you to? Uh, I apologize for um, rushing you, but please hurry up and be quiet. Stole that, stole that from a, um, a flight attendant on an airplane. So um, who's my scripture reader this morning? Okay. Um, yeah, I just have a couple roles today. My name is Mark. I'm pastor. And Josiah is going to be preaching for us today. Last week we had someone else preaching as well, a guest preacher named Catherine. And um, so that was a cool part of us being a... a do, having a role in the regional church's work of helping guide and shepherd the journey of young leaders. And that's a, that was a more formal part of that journey because Catherine is going to be examined to be ordained this coming Wednesday, no, Tuesday. Um, so that's kind of what happened last week. Coincidentally, Josiah Gorder, who, who attends here and volunteers in a lot of different ways with our youth group and other things, and also works for the Greenhouse, which is another connection we have as a church. Josiah is also in seminary, in the same seminary program that Catherine is in, with a seminary called Western, which is in West Michigan. And it's a distance learning program and both, that both of them are in. Catherine's a little farther, what, two years farther along than you, or something like One? Okay. Not that far. She doesn't have... <laughs> It's, uh, I get a lot of things confused because um, there's this big regional meeting on Tuesday, March 5, where that examination will happen. I'll be going to that. And then the next day is Ash Wednesday, which makes, what does that make Tuesday? Yeah, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras. I hear, you know, Carnival. Did somebody say, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, just kind of like a, a different kind of season right now. So... One of the things City Life has done for many years is encourage prayer during the season of Lent. So you have a, a few days here to, to kind of ponder and consider how you might enter into this 40-day season of Lent that goes from um, Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, all the way through to Easter, which is April 21. We're going to have a Good Friday service, which is April 19, in the evening. Um, this is a tool, so there's several things you might consider doing during this season of Lent, starting Wednesday. You can go to an Ash Wednesday service. We're not having one, but th- those are, those, you can see some, I think, are listed in our worship guide, and you can find one online. There's even really brief services in different places where you can just receive the imposition of ashes, is what it's, what it's called. So you might mark the beginning of Lent with going to something like that. And then you might also individually just take one of these home. They're in the back. It provides one uh, page per week, starting this week, around a certain theme. And then we'll preach a sermon related to that theme on the Sunday. So next Sunday's is on the theme of breath. And there's a prayer and sort of a, there's a couple scripture passages, a prayer, and then a activity. Um, our small groups, um, I believe, are also referencing this throughout the season of Lent. So consider going to either the Tuesday small group or the Wednesday one, which is in the worship guide, 
and what we've found, those of you who have been here for a while, we found that um, the real kind of growth in, in, that we all kind of hope for spiritually really doesn't begin to happen until you're connected with other people in your faith on a regular basis, like a weekly pod meeting. Pod is our name for small groups. So consider in this season entering into life with others around faith. Um, I think, oh, and then the last piece of that, I knew I was forgetting something, is our adult Sunday school, which meets at 9.30 in the morning. Um, You feel me? So we meet at 9.30 in the back, and we're going to be talking about different, not these specific topics per week, but we're going to add a new layer of it, of just talking about prayer, prayer experiences, scriptures relating to prayer. That's over the next um, 10 Sundays, or not 10, I think it's 7 Sundays. And um, we will be skipping the 17th of March. For those of you who are adult Sunday school junkies, put it on your, put it on your calendar that March 17, we are not having that meeting. Um, I think that's most of what I wanted to say. And Josiah's gonna gonna be our preacher today. Thanks, Josiah. Um, and Jen is gonna be our reader. And I'm gonna go sit down. Today's reading is Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. It can be found on page 956 of the Bible's next year sees as well as on the screen. This is God's word. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothing and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The word of the Lord. Uh, Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sunday morning. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the chance to gather as family, as friends, uh, as a community to worship you. Lord, be with us now. Uh, Holy Spirit, prepare us to receive the words that you have for us. uh, Prepare us for the transformation that you have in store for us. Amen. Uh, So first of all, I just want to recognize sort of the weird factor of this passage. Uh, There's a lot of strange things going on, and the Bible has a lot of strange stories, but this one's got a lot of different elements happening. Uh, For one, there's Jesus' transformation. His face changes, and his clothes become bright like a flash of lightning. Uh, And whenever I hear that, I always think of uh, like 
the Power Rangers, you know, when they would do like morphin' time, and they like change and they're pff, something totally different. There's like some 90s kids out here, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I can't help but thinking about that when I think of Jesus' transformation. Uh, and if, and if that's not the only thing going on here. We also get Moses and Elijah show up, and I'm just like, are they like ghosts? Like, what are they doing here? What's happening? Uh, on top of that, there's a cloud that comes down, and God speaks to them through the cloud. And at the end of it all, it's just like, they don't say anything. And all of that together makes this a very strange, strange passage. And so to help us sort of make some sense of it, uh, I want us to look at this passage through the lens of time. Time, as in past, present, and future. Uh, because when we take a step back and we take a big, broad view of time, we get this big, broad view of God. And uh, to help us see sort of this connection, uh, there's this quote from a uh, Jewish mystic theologian, Abraham Heschel, about how we see God in time rather than in like the space and the world around us. He says, where shall the likeness of God be found? There is no quality that space has in common with the essence of God. There is not enough freedom on the top of the mountain. There is not enough glory in the silence of the sea. Yet the likeness of God can be found in time, which is eternity in disguise. So that's how we're going to look at this. We're going to look and see how Jesus fulfills the promises made in the past. We'll see how he becomes vulnerable and relatable to us in the present. And we're going to see how he guarantees our hope for the future. And so to begin, uh, we'll look at how Jesus fulfills the promises of the past. And uh, has anybody ever made a promise to you that they haven't kept? Yeah, I think, I think everybody knows what that's like. Uh, and if you can't think of somebody right now, name any politician. I guarantee they have made a promise during their campaign that they have not been able to follow through on. Or to make it a little more personal, uh, maybe your parents promised you something and you're still waiting for that trip to Disneyland. Or maybe your spouse promised they would take out the trash and then yet you walk home and there it is, right where it was when you left. Uh, or sometimes a friend will promise you something that they don't follow through on. And God made a lot of promises in the past. Uh, and he made some promises to Moses and Elijah, our two surprise guests in this story. But they didn't always get to see them fulfilled in their lifetime. Like, take Moses, for example. We, we know the story of Moses. Uh, if, if this is your first time, Moses was uh, somebody who God called through this burning bush, another strange Bible story. Uh, and Moses was the one God chose to lead the Israelites out of Egypt on this exodus into the wilderness. Moses was the one that went up onto Mount Sinai and God gave him the law and the books of the Bible and he led his people through the wilderness some more towards the promised land. But Moses never got to enter into the promised land. He, he brought his people to the front door, but that was where Moses was taken from. That's where he went up to heaven. And, uh, he never got to see the fulfillment of that promise that God made, that his people would enter into that land. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, that was Mount Sinai. He went up, he came down with the Ten Commandments. That was Moses. But he never got to see it all come to fruition. He didn't get to enter the promised land with God's people. God made another promise uh, to Moses that he, he told the Israelites about. Uh, in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, uh, Moses is telling the people about a leader God had promised would come. 
Moses says to the Israelites, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. He's saying that God is promising to send another leader who will lead you on an even greater exodus into an even greater promised land. But he never got to see that leader come. And Elijah, uh, we'll look at him. He was, he was a bold prophet in Israel's history. Some call him the boldest prophet. Uh, he was a prophet during the time of King Ahab, who was leading the Israelites away from God into worshiping idols, doing things like child sacrifices. Uh, and Elijah was calling him out. He wasn't holding back. And there's this incredible scene that we read about in 2 Kings where Elijah is doing this sort of face-off with the, the idols' priests. And they're up on top of this mountain and Elijah builds this altar, and the priests build their altar, and they're trying to get fire to come to burn their altar. There's this big showdown. And then eventually, Elijah prays, and God sends fire from heaven. This is another strange story. Fire from heaven to burn up this altar on top of the mountain. And Elijah thinks, yes, finally. The people have seen this. The king has seen this. Now they're going to turn back to God. They're going to know that God is real, that God is powerful, and that God is the one that we should be worshiping. But you know what happened? Is it actually worked sort of in reverse. The people got angry. They wanted to, they wanted to kill Elijah because he made them look like fools. They were saying that these idols are the ones that we should worship, and Elijah showed them God's power. And instead of coming over, they were like, this guy's making us look like a joke. So they wanted to kill him, and so Elijah fled, he ran, he hid in a cave, and there he's just completely overcome with uh, just feelings of, of being a failure. He thinks he's the only one in Israel left that worships the true God. He thinks that when he dies, the faith in Yahweh dies with him. And it's here that God speaks to him and gives him a promise. God comes to Elijah and, and he speaks to him and he says, I want you to anoint Jehu as king over Israel. And I want you to anoint Elisha as a prophet to be your successor. Because I've got a plan. I've got a plan how these things are going to work. Don't give up hope. I promise that if you do these things, uh, an even greater king will come. That these things are just small signs of, of, of movement that is going to move beyond what you can even imagine. And so God makes this promise to Elijah. But Elijah doesn't get to see it fulfilled. He gets to see some of it. He anoints Jehu. He anoints Elisha. But he doesn't get to see God's people return to worshiping the true Lord. Neither of them sees God's promises fulfilled until the scene that we just read about today. On that mountain, Moses and Elijah see Jesus. And in him they see those promises fulfilled. Moses sees Jesus as the leader and prophet that God had promised. He sees, oh, this is the guy Jesus, God was talking about. This is the one who's going to lead God's people into an even greater promised land. Elijah sees Jesus and he sees, oh, this is the king that God was pointing to. This is the king of kings. And it goes even deeper than this. In, in Jewish tradition, Moses wasn't just a single man. He represented the entire tradition of the law. And, and the same goes with Elijah. He wasn't just seen as one person. He represented the whole tradition of the prophets. And so when we have these two together, Moses and Elijah with Jesus, it's as if this scene is telling us that all of the promises of the law are fulfilled in Jesus. All of the promises of all the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. 
When God makes a promise, he follows through. And he followed through in Jesus. That's how God fulfills the promises of the past. And when we look at at what Moses and Elijah are talking about with Jesus, we see how vulnerable Jesus has become in the present. In verse 31, we see that they are talking with him about his departure. And the Greek word for departure is actually a pretty familiar one that we might know. We've already talked about it. It's the word exodus. They've come to talk with Jesus about his exodus. And if you're about to go through something like that, Moses might be somebody you want to talk to. Because he's been through an exodus himself. So why is this the topic of conversation? Why are they talking about Jesus' departure? Well, I think it's that they're there to encourage Jesus. To give him comfort as he's looking forward to his upcoming departure. Uh, And and for us to really see this in context, verse 28, the very first verse that we read, it says, about eight days after Jesus said this. After he said what? Why why do we start with a verse that's pointing to something we don't know what what it's pointing to? Uh, Well, what it's pointing to is the section just before the one that we read. Jesus was talking with his disciples about his upcoming death. He was talking with them, saying that I am going to be rejected. I am going to be killed. And that is where I am headed. And do you know what his disciples said to him? They said nothing. The Bible records silence. Nothing over eight days. The disciples don't get what Jesus is talking about. You know, they've been following him for a long time now, and they're thinking, Jesus has this great ministry growing. It's building. It's getting bigger. And and we want to see this success. And Jesus is telling them, no. I've come that I am going to die. I'm eventually going to be rejected. That's the road that I'm going to. Yeah, he was whipped too. He suffered incredible pain. And the disciples are like, what? Why? What? It just doesn't click with them. They don't get it. And this is when Jesus needs his friends the most. You know, he's telling them that I'm about to go through this incredibly difficult thing. And none of them step up to encourage him, to comfort him, to be with him as he's facing this terrifying challenge. Yeah, Jesus loves all of us. But his, and his disciples didn't get it. Yeah. And, so, and, I, and I bet all of us here at some point have felt something like that, where you're facing something, where you have a challenge in front of you and your friends or your family don't get it. When you need their encouragement and support, they don't understand what it is that you're facing. This could be uh, dealing with divorce or the end of a relationship, or something like that, and you're, you're trying to talk with your friends or your family about what you're going through, but they just don't get it. They don't understand. They're not able to comfort you because they don't really get what's going on inside. Or maybe something even deeper, something more personal. Maybe you're wrestling with something like depression, or addiction, or an eating disorder, and you hint about it maybe to a friend, or you, you tell your family about it, but they're not able to follow through. They're not able to walk with you as you face this challenge because they don't understand. This is a lonely and a painful place to be. To be dealing with anxiety, stress, and pain and not having somebody there who understands. Not having somebody that can walk with you through it. And that's where Jesus found himself. Because he knew what was coming. I mean, in that culture, the Romans made sure to do public executions. Jesus had probably seen people die on crosses along the road as he walks in Judea. And he knew that's what was coming for him. 
And can you imagine the stress that that would cause? Psychologists have uh, discovered what they call death row syndrome, where they've done studies on inmates who have been condemned to die, and they've discovered that being in that sort of situation can cause incredible anxiety, severe depression, as if you're just being crushed by this emotional weight. And that's what Jesus is going through. That's what he tells his friends, his closest friends, and they say nothing. They just don't get it. And so, with no human voices available to encourage Jesus, the Father steps in to provide new voices to this conversation. Uh, he sends Moses to comfort Jesus with his own Exodus experience. And he sends Elijah to encourage Jesus with his experience of being rejected, of feeling alone. And as these three converse, we are told only that they discussed his departure. That's why they were there. These giants of the faith had come to point Jesus in the direction that he needs to go and uh, to encourage him that down that path lies the salvation of the whole world. God heard Jesus' plea. He heard his prayer and he sent encouragement. He sent comfort. And this tells us two incredibly powerful and important things, that we have a God who can relate to us. We have a God who has gone through pain. Jesus has gone through loneliness. He's been rejected. Whatever pain, loneliness, and rejection you've experienced in your life, he knows deeply and personally what that's like. And so when we pray, it's not to some distant God who just observes. We're praying to a God who has felt what we feel. And second, this tells us that God never leaves us to face our pain alone. This scene starts with Jesus praying, asking God for something. And God sends support. Uh, incredibly, God doesn't just, he doesn't remove the challenge that's in front of Jesus. He doesn't say, okay, you don't have to go to the cross. But he does send him the help and encouragement, the strength to face that challenge. And so when we pray, when we talk about our challenges, the things that we're facing, God might not take it away directly, but he will always send the comfort and the help and the encouragement and strength that we need to face it. Whether that's the help of our community as a church, or the comfort of a passage of scripture, or even just the peace of knowing that you are in the presence of the Holy Spirit, God does not leave us to face our pain and our loneliness by ourselves. And so with this encouragement and this comfort, Jesus faced the cross. And three days later, he rose again. And this is why Jesus guarantees our hope for the future. Jesus fulfills the promises of the past. He becomes relatable and, and uh, vulnerable to us in the present, and now we are going to look at how he guarantees our hope for the future, looking ahead. Jesus' transfiguration is, is like an opening up. When, when his face changes and his clothes become bright like a flash of lightning, it's as if he's revealing the divine glories and beauty and righteousness and majesty that's been inside of him this whole time. As if he's standing in front of some sort of spiritual x-ray that can see through the external and reveals the light that's on the inside at Jesus' heart. That's what's revealed in his transfiguration. And so now I've got to ask about us. If we were to stand in front of that same sort of x-ray, what would be revealed? You know, this is an x-ray that can see through the facade. It can see through 
the outside stuff that we put on, the image that we want people to see. It can see through this image of being the faithful and dutiful husband. It can see through the image of being the perfect mother. It can see through the picture that we try to put up of having it all together, and it sees our real heart. It sees the things that we might keep hidden. It sees uh, what's going on inside. And I know that if I stood in front of this sort of x-ray, it wouldn't reveal flashes of lightning and glory. <laughs> it would reveal uh, a heart that is terminal, a heart that is broken and needs to be healed. I think the same would be true of all of us. This sort of x-ray can see the pride that we feel but might not express. It can see the anger that we keep hidden and pressed down and we try not to show. It can see the envy and the lustful thoughts that we think nobody knows are going on in our minds. And now you might be thinking, I thought this was supposed to be the hopeful part of the sermon. Uh, and it is. And here's why. Because God sees our terminal condition. He sees through the x-ray. He knows exactly what's going on in our heart. And he has promised that he will heal us. That he will transform us until we eventually look like the glorious and beautiful image of Christ that we see in this transfiguration. That's what we're moving towards. That's what the Holy Spirit is forming us to be. Uh, and nobody says this better than Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18, which we actually read earlier in our assurance of pardon. In it, it says, Paul says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jesus' transfiguration is showing us what we will be someday. Once the Holy Spirit is done and his work is completed, that's what we are going to work And the beautiful thing is that we actually get to participate in that work. We get to do things now that help with that transformation. Uh, because Jesus... In this sort of situation, it's as if he's the doctor and the physical therapist all in one. He's given us the life-saving treatment that we need in the cross, but he's also giving us exercises and things that we can do to increase our strength and our range of motion while we are still here. You know, we mentioned earlier that Ash Wednesday is this week. It's in a few days. And it's kicking off the season of Lent, which is a time when the church has traditionally leaned into these exercises these ways of opening ourselves up for the Holy Spirit to transform and work within us. And there are three traditional sets of practices that the church has used throughout history that I want us to take a brief minute to look at here. The first one is self-examination and repentance. Self-examination and repentance. This is where we, we take a look at what the x-ray reveals. We take an honest look at what's going on in our heart. We recognize the things that we struggle with. We recognize the ways that we've sinned and that we've fallen short. Because only once you really know what's going on are you able to address it appropriately. Any doctor or nurse can tell you that. Once we know what's wrong, we know what we can do to get healthier. So that's self-examination and repentance. Second is prayer, fasting, and self-denial. Uh, once we've seen, uh, we've already seen how prayer was central to Christ's transfiguration. It began with prayer. He prayed and he was transformed. I think this is central to prayer. Uh, oftentimes, I think we mistake prayer as a way for us to try to convince God to give us what we want. That it's our way of trying to change God's outlook. 
when really the opposite is true. Prayer is our way to ask God to change us. It's our way of approaching God and saying, have me as I am, make me more like you, rather than approaching God and saying, I want you to do what I want. We say, we want to do what you want us to do. And fasting and self-denial play into this as well because they strengthen our ability to say no. Uh, once we're used to telling our stomach no, when we're used to saying no to food, it's much, much easier to say no to being judgmental. It's much, much easier to say no to our fear that wells up. It's much, much easier to say no to pride, lust, and envy when we've already gotten used to saying no to food. It's as if that's our way of, of recognizing the toxins that have gotten into our system we see them in the x-ray. And then fasting and self-denial are ways to, to learn how to keep those toxins out, how to change our, our diet, so to speak, to live a healthier life. And then finally, reading and meditating on God's word. If, uh, that's, that's the third practice. So self-examination and repentance. Prayer, fasting, and self-denial. And now reading and meditating on God's word. If fasting and self-denial are our ways of keeping the toxins out, Reading and meditating on scripture is our way of getting good, healthy nutrients in. It's our way of, of feasting on something that gives actual life and joy and hope to our, to our spirit. And I, honestly, I would actually add communion to this as well. Uh, you, do you know the old phrase, like, you are what you eat? When we come together on Sunday and we, we eat this bread and, and we drink this wine, we become more like what we eat. We are transformed more into the image of Jesus as we consume Jesus' presence here. We become like what we eat. And so those are our three traditional practices to look at. Um, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, kicking off the season of Lent. Uh, and I encourage you to come join us on Sunday mornings when we look at things like prayer at the Bible study. Um, it's, a, it's a really powerful time to really focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and the ways that you are being transformed to be more like Christ. And so we'll take one last step out. We'll zoom out to take one more big view of time again so that we can get a big view of God. Because we've seen how when he makes a promise, he fulfills it. Every promise that he made in the past was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see how Jesus has become vulnerable and relatable to us in this present moment. Whatever present pain and suffering you are going through, Jesus knows it personally and walks with you through it. And finally, Jesus guarantees our hope for the future, that someday we will be made like him, that we are being transformed just as he was transfigured into this glorious, beautiful image that God has designed us to be all along. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus for his answer to all of your promises that you always fulfill. God, we thank you that we can pray to you knowing that you have gone through what we go through. You know what loneliness and pain and anxiety feel like, God. It's not a distant thing for you. It's something you've gone through. Thank you for being relatable and vulnerable for us. We thank you especially for the promises you've made that we know you will fulfill about our future about the transformation you have planned for us. Lord, help us to let go 
and allow you to, to change our hearts in the way that they need to be changed. In your name we pray. Amen.